Psalm 135, before we read, I'd like to give a little bit of an opening there. It has a very special place in Reformed history, in Protestant Reformed churches. There are churches today that are very few that are, that are in existence, but we have a really strong history of Presbyterian churches, especially on the eastern shore of Maryland, and there's still a few that exist that go all the way back several hundred years ago. What's important about them is they were very focused on the Psalms. And there were two major ways they were focused on the Psalms. One, responsive reading in their services, which we still do today, responsive reading, how Mike gets up and we go back and forth in the Psalms. They would never have responsive reading outside of the Psalms. And it's because of the, it's because of the literature, the poetic form. Um, but number one, it was the, 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 love and the absolute respect and reverence for the worship of our Lord. I think the only other, I think the other um, book that's in Scripture that would come close to that would be Isaiah, the first, especially the first portion of Isaiah. And what I love about the Psalms is in its poetic form, it really shows how we are to respond and reverence and love the Word of God and love God Himself. And so basically, the one way that the Reformed churches would honor the Psalms is through the responsive reading, but the other way was strictly psalm singing. They would only ever sing the Word of God. They would never sing a man-written hymn. As you know, a lot of the current man-written hymns today are filled with personal pronouns, and they're always talking about personal feelings and I kind of experiences where... When you sing the Psalms, it's giving all the credit to the Lord. And I've always, part of my ministry here is to always encourage um, the session and the pastor to sing at least one Psalm on a Sunday morning because we're singing the Word of God. And that's the real reason why. Psalm 135 is a song, it's an exhortation to God's servants to praise Him for His mercy. And so we're going to read Psalm 135 Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the name of the Lord. Praise him, O ye servants of the Lord. Ye that stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises unto his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself, and Israel for his peculiar treasure. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas, and in all deep places. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings for the rain. He bringeth the wind out of his treasuries. Who smote the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast? Now we get towards the more uh, the judgment of God. Who sent tokens and wonders in the midst of thee? O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and upon all his servants. Who smote great nations and slew mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and all king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land for an heritage, an heritage unto Israel as people. Thy name, O Lord, endureth forever, and thy memorial, O Lord, throughout all generations. For the Lord will judge his people, and he will repent himself concerning his servants. The idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. 
They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Bless the Lord, O house of Aaron. Bless the Lord, O house of Levi. Ye that fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord out of Zion, which dwelleth at Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. When we come into the Lord's house on the Sabbath day, our job is simple. It's why we come into the Lord's house. We praise the Lord. We're here to thank Him that we have breath. We're here to thank Him that we live another day. And all you have to do is go back through the obituaries for the last week and how many people thought they had a few more weeks left in their life and they're not here. There's many reasons we thank the Lord. For our next breath that we take doesn't come without the Lord. Many that those that the atheists, those that hate him, they don't believe that, sadly, and it's very sad. But it's the Lord that gives us that breath of life. We see Psalm 135 is towards the final section of the Psalter. It comes following Psalm 121 to 134, which are called the Psalms or Songs of Ascent which were sung by the pilgrim Jews coming back from the captivity in Babylon to Jerusalem after the terrible years of slavery. Remember how Joseph and Mary were Jewish. They were pilgrims of the diaspora and sang these songs of ascent in worship for Passover. And if you take uh, the commentaries and the study from the history of basically the, the study of the Psalms, it's pretty concrete that when Christ left the upper room and he was getting ready to be crucified. It says in two of the, I think it's at least two of the synoptic gospels. I can't remember. I thought it was at least two. I know it's two, maybe more, that they sung. What did they sing? He didn't sing, I decided to follow Jesus. That's for sure. They didn't sing songs like that. He sung Psalm 118, the great Hallel, because that was Jewish tradition to go back to the Psalms. Lisi. Right. And when that was written, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs were the psalms. It was different portions of the Old Testament being sung because there had not been man-made written hymns at that time. That came centuries and centuries later. And so right now, here we see here, this is a song, and it's giving praise to the Lord. As we sing many psalms here, we've sung Psalm 90. It's good to thank the Lord. That is a song from Moses. Moses had written that, and there's many different writers. We see that worship is the central word for the Psalms. So we can break down this first portion of Psalm 135, and in the very first three verses especially, actually the very first three verses leading to some extra verses here, almost verse 14, we could discuss praising the Lord. Praise ye the name of the Lord. Praise Him, O ye servants of the Lord. Ye that stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. What does that mean? What, what type of, when you read those verses, what does it mean to you about the different forms of praising the Lord? How should we praise the Lord? And what is it that we should do to honor the Lord and be reverent? Anyone? Sure, thank you. Right. Excellent. Right. Right. Amen. There's a there's many reasons. That's a, that's that's an excellent answer. We're always 
be praising the Lord because we give praise and honor to the one whom we owe worship to who is worthy of it. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is God, we are the dust that He brought together for creation. We are to praise and honor Him for our lives, our health, our families, our means of living through work, and the possessions He has given us. I heard a message this week, and the speaker said one of the things that lacks so much in today's society, and it's almost a forgotten, it's almost a forgotten pastime, is great gratitude. Simple gratitude, Lisi. No, go ahead. Yes. Right. Yeah. Amen. Right. Hallowed be thy name. What does that mean? How sacred is thy name? How reverent. It's not something to be trifled with. It's not something to take arbitrarily. And you know, it's amazing how when Lacey says about war and talking about that, you go to the next chapter, Psalm 136. And from history, if you read the history, it's a very, very good... Now, this is a perhaps. Not saying this actually happened. I believe it did. But David would literally stand as he was getting ready to go into war, perhaps with a spear or his bow and arrow up, leading the Israelite army of hundreds of thousands of men, going in and conquering these patient pagan nations. And it, Psalm 136 starts out, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. And you can imagine all of the soldiers yelling, For His mercy endureth forever. And that's the refrain all through Psalm 136. And you can imagine, they said all these verses, and how many times, if you've studied your Bible, how many times did King David ever get defeated? How many times? Somebody can find a place where he got defeated. I'll give you $1,000 in cash. It ain't, it's not going to happen. He never had, he never lost a war. Never. And he, and why did he not lose a war? Because he trusted in the Lord. He praised the Lord. He thanked the Lord before and after. It was like going to war was a worship service for him. He went into it praising the Lord. He, go, he went through the war asking the Lord for guidance. And when it was over, the benedictions over and over and over again were written to honor the Lord for the victories that he had. We have several verses to look up regarding the first portion of Psalm 135 regarding praise. How precious it is that our Lord loves our worship as sinful as we are. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the gate to the sheepfold. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is our salvation. He is Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? Anybody remember? Yes. God with us. Well... How would you like to wake up in the morning and be able to say, um, God is without us. He doesn't want anything to do with us. Well, the people that are in that position have no clue because the Lord's blinded them. We're going to have some Bible verses and I'm going to call them out. And whoever can read them, if you could find them as quickly as you, as you can, read them so we can get as many done as we can. First, Psalm 18, verses 2 and 3. And then... After that, someone different, hopefully. Revelations 4, verse 11. This is how the Lord 
uh, he, he is our salvation, and He is our safety net. Psalm 18, 2 and 3, whoever has that. These are, thank you, Charlie, these are specific reasons that King David had given for why he had cried out to the Lord and he had praised the Lord. He said he saves them from our enemies. Um, do we have enemies? Uh, today, they're everywhere. Our enemies that hate the Lord are everywhere. They're in Congress. They're in the General Assembly. They're in the White House. They're in all forms of government. And their enemies, these are those that hate the Lord. Well, if they're not going to defend us, if they're not going to defend the babies, if, not, if they're not going to defend religious moral freedoms. I mean, there was something that was going on the last couple of weeks that Lisa was very concerned about. She's been reading about it on, on a local uh, neighborhood site on how there was a young girl over at a high school over in, over in Cockeysville that was approached by a young man, and he did some things that were really bad to her, and nobody would step up and protect her. I mean, there were the parents, this went back and forth, the conversations were going back and forth, and these parents had gone in, and they tried to do everything they could to get someone to step up to go after this young man, and he was doing it repeatedly. And at this point, there has been no resolve. Nobody will step up for the innocent. No one will step up for those that are weak. When it says that David cries out for the Lord to protect their enemies, that's for everybody. That's not being in war, protecting him against the Amalekites. The enemies are out there. Who is going to stand up and do what is right to avenge those that can't avenge themselves? It is the police's job? Yes. It's also the government's job, is it? Yes. But you know, ultimately, it was always the church's job to do that. It was the church's job to pray and to help and to be there for people. And you know, this is very sad what's going on out there. We really need to be praying that the Lord will protect us from our enemies. Who has Revelations chapter 4, verse 11? Here's, thank you, Jacob. There's more reasons why to praise the Lord. He's given us ideas. Why do we praise the Lord? To, to protect us from our enemies. Because He's our salvation. He is our high tower. If you're out in the middle of the ocean, and you're maybe not sure if you're close to shore or not, and the tempests are raging and all of the waves, and all of the sea, and all of a sudden you see this beautiful little light that is that beacon, that tower right there that shows you that you're close to shore. You've seen salvation. That is, you're redeeming, you're, you're, you're redeeming safety net to know that you're going to be okay. That is the high tower that David is speaking about. He's our beacon and he's our, our light, of, a light of light and our light of salvation. And our responsibilities and our passion and our love should be wrapped around learning about who it is we worship. We, we, we read in the Confession of Faith, the, gov, the government, you know, the, uh, the constitution of our church. What do scriptures principally teach? What man is to believe concerning God and what duties he requires of us. This is how we get to know him. This is how we get to learn about that protection. And through praise and worship and honoring the Lord, we can know that the Lord loves us and he's protecting us. 
This is how we get to know Him. His, his attributes are He is a spirit, infinite, eternal, powerful, all-knowing, justice, holiness, goodness, and truth. And we are to obey His, his, his commandments. Causes for praise. Exposition and singing. The cause for praise is God. Singing Scripture to Him is a chief means of praise. Part of worship specifically, we see it answers why God should be praised. For He is Jehovah. He is the great I Am. He is praiseworthy. And throughout these verses, we see the word for. And it's used over and over. It's a synonym for the, synonym for the word because. It answers why He and He alone should be praised. And so when we think of going to, to church on Sunday, a lot of people go because they want... Um, I mean, I think I, I kind of think that the reasons and the objective for going to the Lord's house, if it's even the Lord's house, has changed greatly over the last, especially last 50 years or more. And uh, we were driving Friday evening. We went past that former BMW, B, that BMW dealership up there in Hickory. Friday evening, I'm going to tell you, there were no less than 500 cars in that parking lot. There were at least 500. I, I started counting them, and if you did a little bit of math, I'd say there were at least 500 cars. It's called Freedom Church. And we looked it up, and they're having interventions there. I mean, I'm not saying what they're doing is bad, but what I, did not, what I didn't see is how people are learning about the Bible. It's all this self-help. It's all this stuff of trying to make people feel good. Lisey. Yes. Right. Right. Yes, we do. Right. Yeah, we're justified by existence. Our justification for heaven is existence. The fact that we're here, the fact that we're doing anything and we do a couple good things for the Lord while we're here, well, automatically that's an entrance into heaven. What does God say about that? The Lord says one of the, one of the marks of a Christian... I remember the youth conference here in 2008. There was a message about eight marks of a Christian. And one of them is being sorrowful for your sins. Repentance is one of them. There are several good marks of a Christian. Another mark of a Christian is how do you praise the Lord? Are you a Christian? Do you speak the Lord's name? Do you speak it honorably the way He says to speak it? Or is it basically a advertising kind of like marketing technique to get people into the doors? Well, when we were driving, Lisa looked up what was going on at Freedom Church. And what they were having, it was some kind of a youth group thing, I think it was. I can't remember what it was called. But it said part of their creed was, well, we're, we're, bib we're biblically based, but we reserve the right to change a few things. And it says, it says to change a few things. That's not the exact wording, but that's how, what it said. We can change a few things. Well, what are you cutting out from the Bible? What do you change to, in order to get, get large crowds? It says, for he is good. And this is consistent all throughout Scripture. How about Psalm 25.8? Can someone look up Psalm 25.8 and then Psalm 34.8? And then we'll read those and discuss those here. It's a, this is consistent throughout Scripture. For He is good. He is a good God. He is a righteous God. Amen. Thank you for being quick about that, Matt. Thank you. That's good. Good and upright is the Lord. What's the opposite? 
bad and downright awful, that's Satan. And I don't see any in between in these verses. I don't see any neutrality here. You're either good or you're evil. Psalm 34, 8. Who has that? Psalm 34, 8. Blessed. What does it say in the beginning of Revelations? Blessed are those that read these verses and understand them. And so, you know, we're blessed. Why are we blessed? We had a pastor that did two years on the study of Revelations in the church. And if we were here to praise the Lord and listen, we were blessed. Because we were here to hear and to learn about Revelations. There are so many reasons in the Bible the Lord gives that the Lord loves to bless us. Matthew. Right. And that is a blessing that money could never buy. And oh, how people try to spend their money to get that peace and that joy in their heart. And all they have to do is what it says here, taste and see that the Lord is good. Lisey. Right. 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 And they've basically dug their heels in, and they've said, "Well, I'm not going to be there." And sadly, it's the same with a lot of people that at one point in their life did go to church, and then all of a sudden, ah, you know. Church isn't working for me. It's not always about what the church can do for you. It can be, you know, it's a lot about what we can do for the church. The church is Christ. And one of the things we're learning this morning, one of the things we can do, praise His name. Thank the Lord. Be grateful. And that's the lost art that I was hearing this pastor talk about is gratitude. Gratitude for people when people do things for you. You know how hard it is to do to hold a door for somebody now and somebody to say thank you? Just simple things. Thank you. I appreciate it. Somebody holds I've had women hold the door for me when I have stuff in my arms, I'm going in and out of a grocery store or whatever, and I say thank you. You know, I really appreciate that. And if I get a chance to hold the door for them, that should be natural. Gratitude. Grateful for what the Lord's done. Grateful that you have food. Grateful that He taught us what foods to eat. There are people that eat the wrong foods and it kills them. People that take the wrong drugs and it kills them. People that, you know, the Lord shows us what to do. And when Lisey, going back to her wonderful statement about prayer, he shows us how to pray. Look at the ritualistic prayers that are out there. People spend hours and days thinking they're getting close to the Lord and they have no connection with Him whatsoever. They pray in what Paul said, vain babblings. And they go back over and over and they spend their lives doing this and they've never even gotten close to the Lord. I mean, the Lord says, get into your prayer closet. I think about the confessional and the seal of, I forget what it's called, the seal of, uh, um, it's called, they're, they're, where the priest is not allowed to, to, to say anything outside of the confessional box. It's called the seal of silence or whatever that is. It's some name, Matt. Matt. Yeah, it's, there's a name for that. And people go to that... Yes, right along those lines. Yeah, but there is a a mandate the Vatican gives 
that even if there's a crime committed or something like that, they're not allowed to talk about it. And the thing is, that priest is, calls himself a priest. He's not a priest. He doesn't go back to the priesthood at all. He's a man. And so if he's a man and he calls himself a priest, or what, let's say he calls himself a preacher or, or, a, or, a, or a, a, a reverend or whatever you call it, who are we to take our sins to another man and to lay them at his feet? Who are we to do that? That man can't atone for our sins. Those priests literally believe that they can atone for that man's sins and that they carry those sins. Basically, they carry them and they're supposed to go to church and they're supposed to look at everybody that, and, that, and that priest bears their sins and he has to go through this hard thing and he, he reserves the right to offer those sins up to the Lord. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. And these, and these, and these, sadly, these people give these, these vain, repetitious prayers. Father, forgive me for I have sinned three weeks ago. And it's always like, if you read about it, three weeks ago. Three weeks ago? You know what the Christian says? Lord, I've sinned every second for the last week. Lord, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Did David go to the priest? No, he went to the high priest. He went to Jesus Christ. That's who we're to pray to. And if the Lord has taught you that, you've got gold. You have something worth more than anything you'll ever have in this lifetime because you have eternal life if you have it in your heart to love and to, to honor Jesus Christ. That's exposition and singing here we see. Uh, we see in Psalm 73 verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. And then Psalm 145, 9, The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all of His works. And it's just a few of hundreds and wonderful verses that teach us of His character. For His choosing, our God is sovereign. He is our Adonai. And this is the doctrine of election. His providence is over all. There are no maverick molecules in the universe. There is not one renegade Adam. He has all things chiefly in view. And that means when we pray to Him, we're praying to a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and he's, all, he's, he's omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. He's everything. Matt. The sacramental seal. That's it. And you know, we see how if we know that our Lord knows all things, well then I think it's a good thing to pray to Him. Can someone look up at Romans 11.36? Foundational verse of the, of the Reformation. He has chosen Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to enjoy His covenantal blessings he has chosen a nation of those that fear Him for Himself. He has chosen them. We do not choose Jesus. He chooses us first. We love Him because He first loved us. Romans 11.36, anyone? Thank you. He is the one who receives our praise and our glory, our exaltation. We've been talking about the exaltation of Christ on the Wednesday night prayer meetings and how... How was he exalted in his resurrection? He is exalted. If you take all of the answers in this question and answer that we were considering in the confession of faith in the larger catechism, all of his, the reasoning for his exaltation of his resurrection, which means what, to put it in practical terms, what made it different for Jesus Christ to come to this earth from Nazareth, born of a virgin, Empowered by the Holy Spirit, what made him different from any other person to be able to have this power to raise from the dead? 
This general resurrection, and it's very general, it is because it's open to anybody. It's not, a, when I say general resurrection, it's not specific for a specific sect of people that are picked over anyone else, that whether they believe in God or not. Those that are chosen by God, it could be anybody. Anybody can, the Lord can save anyone. It's not discriminant, discriminatory. It's, it's, it's an equal opportunity, uh, uh, it's an equal opportunity salvation for anyone that believes in the Lord of God's own choosing. Problem is, is too many people question why God chooses and why there's some that He doesn't choose. That's not for us. That's one of the many things that, are, that the Lord has knows why, and He will reveal that to us one day. But if you love Him, thank God He chose you and that you have His mercy. The prophets did. The apostles did. Christ, if you notice in His ministry, never once did He ever cry out and say, thank you for choosing me, O God. He never did, because He is God. And He never sinned. In His exaltation, He chooses us. He is exalted because He died and He resurrected in the same body He died in because He had the power to do that. And He had the power to choose. He even said, leading up to His death, we're going into Easter here in a few weeks, He even said how long He would be in the tomb. He chose how many days He would be in the grave. He chose when He would come out. He chose when He would ascend, which means He had power over all of those that put Him into that Horrible crucifixion. We see in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2, we see that we are a special treasure handpicked of the Lord from His choosing. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto Himself. Above all the nations that are upon the earth, Isaiah 41, verse 9 says, Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee and not cast thee away. Verse 10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. This is a great God. He's above all gods. No other God is greater than Him. He's God over the gods and will crush all the false gods. Psalm 136.2 says, O give thanks unto the Lord, O give thanks unto the God of gods, for His mercy endureth forever. Isaiah 42.8, and this is a very powerful verse that I love. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. The, our Lord will not be replaced. He will not be, he will not share his glory with another. What does that mean? There are a lot of different ways of looking at this. What does it mean he won't share his glory with another? We could discuss that for a little bit. Anyone? Lisey? Right. The Lord won't share that glory, and if that happens consistently, He will have to separate that. Right. If He loves us and if we love Him. Perfect. Yep. He will replace the Lord with something else. Right. Well, if that's a great point. 
if our decision to worship the Lord is predicated on what someone else is doing, that is sharing His glory with another. All right, now I'm going to take you through a little series of questions. This is not hard, and I think this builds a case. Moses, Moses does his job. He goes into Pharaoh. He didn't want to do it. Remember the objections. We've talked about the objections. Who am I? How will they hear me? How will they know that thou art God? You tell them I am that I am, but he doesn't. He was going to do it no matter what because the Lord had planned that. He had chosen it, didn't he? He brings the Israelites out and all they're in the wilderness. The Lord shows them these incredible miracles, the Red Sea parting. He gives them water. He gives them the Elam with 72 palm trees and they're living in a lap of luxury for a while. Then he's got work for them to do. Then all of a sudden, here's the first question, he goes up to Mount Sinai and he's glowing. He's speaking to God. He is in the most ultimate worship, talking specifically one-on-one to God. And what are all the Israelites doing? Yes. The first question is, what did they do? They built an idol. Out of what? That's number two. Out of gold, right? What did Moses say? You are not to worship any idols made of gold or made of metal, made of wood, made of stone. Every idol in the Bible was made out of one of those three substances. If you can see, what, what was it? Ashtaroth. You see the one, what was Dagon that fell over was made out of stone, I believe it was, in part metals. It was made out of gold and there was all these real expensive metals on it. If you found something like that laying around the day, you'd be worth tens of millions of dollars with what they made it out of. It was so, it's so elaborate. Did Moses love money? What did he do with the golden calf? Yes. He burned it into powder. It was worth tons of money. And it flowed right down into the Kidron River. The river that flowed actually right by that had the blood of a lot of the martyrs in it. When Christ was being crucified, it was a horrible place, a disgusting, smelly place. And that's what happened to that gold. But here's the ultimate question. And this is, brings it all together. Why did they say to Aaron, Aaron failed. Aaron was weak, but he was wrong. He's the priest. And he was supposed to direct them in the paths of righteousness. Thank the Lord there was a Moses. He was the only one that stepped up. And he, and he, and he got furious and showed them what they had done wrong. But why did they say they had done it? Why did they say that they, that they wanted to worship that God? It's there, it's there, it's, a, it's, it's important to know this. Because we are going to honor Jehovah through the worship of this false idol. And that was the excuse that was given many times when the Israelites had turned away from God and worshipped false idols. Because we are going to worship this God to honor Jehovah. Was that right, Matthew? Yes. That's right. right. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How many common... What are some of the common ways that we show faith that doesn't, that doesn't even really maybe m- many times involve the Lord? What are some of the ways that we exhibit faith? Isn't it amazing how we exhibit faith when it's outside of the Lord and we have no problem with that? Matthew. 
Right. Right. Lisi. Right. 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 Exactly. And so that leads us to the next, that's excellent. Then the next question is, well, we have this common faith with Matthew talks about the airplane. Okay? You have to fly next week to Florida. Let's say we all have to fly to Florida. Anybody here. It could be any one of us. You're about to go up in a big bucket of metal. That always fascinates me. I like to get into the airport and just watch these big, big, these great big birds come in, and it's incredible to me how they do that. I know Faith likes to do it, going down to Dover. I see some pretty awesome airplanes down there. I love that. I, I can't get enough of that. But how many of you, you're getting ready to go to Florida if you do it this week, or so you know, down the line, you, somebody here is probably planning to fly somewhere. You actually going to take every minute for the next couple of months and, and find out who the pilots are, do a background check on them, try to watch some of his plane flights and ask all of the people he flown if he was safe. Are you going to do that? Are you going to go do a whole history, do, go to the, 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 the uh, um, um, what, what's that thing, the case search online, which everybody likes to do, um, you know, the, whatever it's called, the judiciary case search, find out if that pilot's on drugs, find out if he's ever robbed a bank. You're not going to do it. You walk into the plane because you're already so nervous from going through the TSA, hoping they don't throw you in a room. You go and sit down in that plane and you let that, those turbine engines go and you just fly up and you, you're, and whatever. Once you're up there 30,000 feet, what are you going to do about it? That's just one of the ways. You go to surgery. You go to the dentist. Whatever you do. Just driving out here and pulling out on Bel Air, Bel Air Road takes an act of faith. I've almost gotten killed twice going out here. I mean, it's, 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 it's a very, as John MacArthur says, it's a very dangerous world. But we have faith. Faith is the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things not seen. We have faith in that. But the God says that he'll do everything for us. We don't have faith in that. I mean, he says that he will bring us, even when we die, he will lay us down in green pastures and he will restore our soul. Why can't we believe that? And this is what the psalmist is saying. I love, we went back into Job last week and we were reading some verses from Job. And what did Job say? My Redeemer liveth. What a wonderful statement coming back from Job who lived all the way back, probably right somewhere in the period after Noah, not long. He even said he called Jesus his Redeemer. My Redeemer liveth. And I believe the transliteration of that is what Job is saying. My Redeemer resurrected from the dead. He liveth. And he can never die. And I think that's what it's all about. He's, here we see in verse 8 the declaration of God's judgments. We get, a, we, we get a really good idea of why to praise the Lord in Psalm 135. As we're going to verses 6 to 8 right now. We see because of His sovereignty in creation. We see that we worship the Lord and we have faith in the Lord because of His creation. 
He's omnipresent. Isaiah 66.1. Can someone look that up and read that? Isaiah 66.1. Whatever pleases the Lord, He does in heaven. The heavens, the earth, the seas, all therein, are in, He is in the deep places. The heavens are His throne. The earth is His. It is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and He created it. It wasn't some arbitrary explosion 10 billion years ago. Who has Isaiah 66.1? Thank you, Faith. Does that verse sound familiar? Does it sound familiar? Think about it. Yes, remember Jesus, He said this. He said, Curse not by the heavens, for it is My throne. Curse not by the earth, for it is My footstool. For even He reigneth upon the just and the unjust. And I'm paraphrasing that. And He said, Consider the lilies of the valley, how they toil not and they spin not, for they're more beautiful than the robes of Solomon. And He's saying here that... If the earth is his throne and the I mean the, the heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool, he says all things are mine. That's a typical verse. I think of this every time now. How many of you have seen the two planets that are up there? I can't miss them. Isn't that awesome? There's two planets. What's it? Uh, Jupiter and Venus? Or was it Mars? Jupiter and Venus. I mean, how can you not consider this verse? Well, when I call this out, you should be able to repeat it without even looking it up. Psalm 19.1. Who can look that up? You think about that. Thank you, Matthew. Think of the order that the earth is in, in the perfect organized fashion it was created, and the Lord has it operating. Every morning you get up and you see the sun come up, and every morning you see the rain, whenever you see the rain come down, or snow, or whatever patterns in the weather, or whatever you see, everything is perfectly organized, and it's designed, and it's functioning by the Word of God. And the creation groans for Him, and it obeys every movement. What's going to happen here? What can you count on within the next month that we count on every year? Maybe you can't set your watch by it, but the Lord always has it perfect in His timing, you can guarantee that this time of year with the spring solstice, there are going to be flowers coming out, the grass is going to be green, the leaves are going to come out, heavens declare the glory of God. And it honors Him. And how much more should we honor Him with that? Job, Job 37.2 says, Hear attentively, Hear attentively the noise of His voice and the sound that goeth out of His mouth. He directeth it under the whole heaven and His lightning unto the ends of the earth. After it a voice roareth, he thundereth with the voice of his excellency, and he will not stay them when his voice is heard. God thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he which we cannot comprehend. Why do we have to comprehend it? Why does everybody think that they have to figure out, especially outside, I guess I should say generally outside of the Christian church, Edu you know, the academicians, the educators. Why do so many people think that they have to figure out God? Why can't they just trust Him? Honor what He says. See, how many times did your parents say, listen, you listen to me, I don't have to explain to you why. You just don't stand in front of that train when it's coming at you. You know? And, you know, that's a metaphor for a lot of things we can do in life that we, we can get run over in a period of time. You know, we, we're told to be careful, to watch out. 
Lord tells us to do these things, why do we have to question everything that he says to the point where we just don't listen because we don't believe it? Now, that's, I think, a problem. Lisey. Right. Amen. I don't understand why it isn't the first objective of every human being to find out what's going to happen to them when they die. I don't think there's anything more important than that. I know there isn't. I mean, what is it? What do we do? How many people say, well, I hope I'm going to heaven. I hope I'm going to be... I'm, I, a lot of people say nothing happens to me. There's no life after death, so save your breath. That's the most important thing that we can study on this earth is what happens. And if you love the Lord, you go beyond that. What do you do? You get the truth. You can't hold it in. You're out there to warn people. You're out there like we're talking about Paul. You're out there to tell them, you know, there's an impending doom coming if you don't, if you, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. Well, we see that God's sovereignty in creation here in Psalm 135, verses 6 and 7, we see how many times throughout Scripture the Lord uses the creation that He gives us to confirm and to identify His incredible transcendent majesty. <laughs> Look, verse 7, He causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings for the rain. He bringeth the wind out of His treasuries. And then and we go into verse 8. We'll, we'll pick up with this later next week. We see the declaration of God's judgments. That God is just. We see in verse 8 it says, Who smote the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast. Look at the turn in Psalm 135. Look at how this takes a, a, a literary, a real literary term. It goes from the adulation, the praise to the Lord. Why to praise Him? Because He saves us from our enemies. Because He's sovereign. Because He creates all things. Verse 8 goes into a big reason why do we are to listen to his Lord, our Lord. Because of His judgments. He's a just God. More, ju more just than any, than any longest sitting Supreme Court judge or any local judge that we could ever imagine. Far more justice. And if He gave us what we deserve according to our iniquities, you know what we deserve. But God is just. It's one of His attributes. And He will judge the wicked. The dominion, the dominion mandate here is to sprinkle the blood and of an unblemished land on the post and the lintel of the door. And He was saying... If you don't do it, look what he said, what happens in verse 8. He smote the firstborn because they didn't have faith in him. They didn't listen to him. He said, you sprinkle the blood on the lintel of the door, I will pass by your house. If you don't have the blood of Jesus Christ on the lintel of the door to your heart, he's going to pass right over you and you're going to be dead forever. You're going to burn in hell. That's what's going to happen. And that becomes from what? Giving him money? He already has all the money. What, from all these ritualistic sacrifices? He already has all that. He says to believe. That's it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And the death angel will fly over you. Doesn't that make sense? What a wonderful, what a wonderful sign and a wonderful symbol that was with the blood that was sprinkled on the lintel of the door to spare the firstborn. The firstborn. What, what could be more precious and more sensitive to a mother and a father than their firstborn. And how awful this was. Well, we see the declarations of his judgments. We're going to have to stop. And we're going to go forward. And he's, he's not only the great deliverer, he's the caregiver of his people, of Israel. He delivers the enemies. 
He delivers, he delivers us from our enemies. He spared Moses at the Red Sea and the Israelites, and he allowed them to cross over, and he, he made a way for them. He provided deliverance, manna, quail, a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. He parted the Red Sea. He struck the rock in Meribah. He had palms. Look at all the things that he does. And it's just every day he's always fighting for us, and he's always working for us. So that's our, our encouragement this morning. Psalm 135, what a psalm of praise. Let's finish this morning. Jacob, could you close us? Thank you.